0: policy radio this is a comics podcast and this is your host ilana levin uh, aka twitter's ilana brooklyn this is the comics podcast for people who love comics and music joining me on the show are two folks from the creative team of the new graphic novel anthology the deadbeats what is deadbeats uh, the Deadbeats Music Shop is filled with deadly secrets run by the mysterious shopkeeper. Customers can browse through cursed records, evil sheet music, and instruments of the damned. Our host has dozens of spooky stories to tell you from some of the top names in comics. You're going to want to put on your favorite album when you crack open this anthology. That's right. Joining me today is Joe Corallo. Joe is a comics editor who curated and co-edited the Eisner-nominated and Ringo Award-winning Mine anthology and actually was on the show a million years ago to talk about it with us, which was a, found, a, plan, a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood. Um, he edited the glad nominated Oh Shit, It's Kim and Kim, as well as the Dead Beats anthology uh, with Eric Palicki. He is also a writer whose work includes writing and co-creating She Said Destroy at Vault Comics. And he's joined by artist Liana Kangas. Liana Kangas co-created and illustrated She Said Destroy for Vault Comics and has done artwork for 2000 AD, Black Mask Studios, O-Wave Blue World, Image, and more. Her work is featured in both the 2018 and 2019 Ringo award-winning mine and where we live. She illustrated a story for the Deadbeats anthology written by Eric Palicki. Welcome to the show. You guys, Thank thanks for having us. Thank, Thank you. you. Also want to tell you guys about the comic that they worked on together, which is she said destroy out by vault comics, which itself is actually a reference to the spooky neo-folk band death in June. Here's the description. The witches of Fay are the last believers of the Morrigan goddess of death. Bridget's sister, and the only other god left. As Bridget's forces prepare for one final battle, the Morgan prepares to do what she does best, destroy. So uh, thanks for joining me on the show, you guys. Thanks so much for having us.
1: Yes, thank you. I'm I'm glad we got it to work out.
0: Yeah. Whenever I have comics teams together, I always like to ask them, how did you guys first get connected and how did you begin working on work together?
1: Oh, Joe, you want to answer? <laughs> sure, sure. Um, Liana was actually in uh, the mine anthology, so that's how I first became aware of her. She drew uh, Pat Shan's story,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: um, then I met Liana in person. Uh, it was like December thirtieth, twenty seventeen, for our big Forbidden Planet was launch it that signing. Late in the year? Yeah. Oh,
2: wow. it was
1: really late in the year because it, came... it snowed. Yeah, it was snowing because mm-hmm. the book came out the Wednesday, the last Wednesday of the year. Oh yeah. So yeah. we had the signing of Forbidden Planet, and um, you know it was great. Danny O'Neill came down; it was a lo- lovely time. But um,
0: wow,
1: yeah, it was it was good. And then um, you know I got to talk to Liana there, and uh, we had been keeping in touch since then. And mm-hmm. then I uh, had this idea, it, you know, for she said destroy like the bare bones of it. And uh, Liana was actually the first person I talked to about it. Um, I, I approached it with her being like, "Do you like like Sailor Moon and Final Fantasy and stuff like that?"
2: <laughs> and obviously, yes. I said yes.
1: Okay. Yes, right. <laughs> and, I can see uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but oddly enough, um, we we were working on that, pitching it, and uh, Vault was actually the first people we we pitched this to, and, and they said yes. Uh, and w- w- one of the Sort of funny things about it is we actually did a comic together before we started that. We did a four-pager mm-hmm. in the uh, Everything is Going Wrong anthology. Mm-hmm. But that came out after this series wrapped. It just yeah. worked out that way. So, um, so yeah, Liana actually um, not only wrote the story for Everything is Going Wrong, but, uh, well, she drew it and then she also had the story in mind, and I was more or less, like, adapting uh, the the story into, like, dialogue.
2: Joe and I got to know each other really well, because it was sort of mostly an autobiographical thing, and we both had really close friends that had passed away for both of us uh, during that time, and so we just went all in emotionally, and he just wrote that story for me, and it was great, honestly. Uh, so it was a oh, really you. cool way to,
0: like test the waters before working on the series together yeah right right because you know having the right partnership just is super essential
2: yeah crucial
0: um i mean you thinking about things like who what are your aesthetics that you that you're looking for for a series and i think that's one of the really cool things about you know the way you guys are working together is when you're at like marvel or dc they have a tendency unless you're very you know unless you're like a very powerful writer or, or artist there to just pair you up with whoever they want to see you paired up with, but right. yeah. you guys are able to have a lot of intentionality in like, this is the right artist for this particular story.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was glad that Joe asked me, you know, for her first series starting out for co-created it, you know, during the whole process, like it didn't really dawn on me that it was really happening until it was like, Oh we actually made this holy shit, you know
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy' cause, um when when I first was talking to Vault about this, it was uh, Emerald City uh, 2018. and then um, we were there for Emerald City 2019, and uh, Vault actually they they surprised us by having a, a big banner when you enter the you know escalators going into the venue there with uh liana's uh Morgan design for she said destroy
2: yeah, that was That's really was cool. cool
1: yeah so so they really oh, wow. they really put a lot into it, which you know, we, we really appreciated
2: Mm-hmm.
1: you know, and uh yeah, and it's been coming you know we 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 only just wrapped it uh you know beginning of last month in terms of the fifth issue coming out so so it's still pretty fresh with us it's
0: super fresh, yeah. Well, you know, Liana, when I'm looking at your art, like I can see, you know, you're working digitally, obviously, and I feel like you have a particularly modern sort of style. And, you know, this is a story that's, is very futuristic, um, but also has, you know, fantasy and mythology in it. Uh, How how does that sort of influence how you're drawing the characters?
2: Oh, thanks for calling it modern. I really appreciate that. Um, You know, with it being set in the very far future and everything, it gave us the ability to make it as sci-fi as possible and that's my favorite genre um, mm. and it was kind of cool to have that mix of like you know anime inspired type colors and stuff like that and still work with it being fantasy and i think that uh oftentimes when we see fantasy stuff it's not really as bright and futuristic looking like that so yeah it was really cool to have or try our hand at, you
0: know, make it look sci-fi and fantasy together. Right. Right. It feels like a lot of things file into one or the other category and not into both. Yeah. Who are the influences on your drawing? Oh, boy.
2: Um, <laughs> I,
0: I think I put a
2: lot of people on blast pretty often, but... Um, you know, like, I love Becky Cluden's work. I love Paula Mm. Seda, who's a friend. And, um, I love like Jim Mafood. He's a huge inspiration to me. A lot of people that are, you know, pretty within the last decade worth of comics work. Um, Mm -hmm. but I think mostly those are my top, you
0: know, influences those are some great people you know at the same time i was reading this to prep for the show i've been uh reading the next volume i mean it's a volume from like a million years ago but like the next volume for me of um a distant soil Mm -hmm. which is the yeah um which is colleen duran's like big fantasy sci-fi fantasy futurist well, it's not in the futuristic, but, it, it the, 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 you know, because they're in space, lots of stuff is really futuristic, even mm-hmm. though the characters are, like, actually from the 80s at this point. Um, but uh, I felt like those kind of had a similar vibe uh, as each other, even though the art is really different. I, have you guys read that series at all?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm a big fan of Colleen's, and I I have the, when, a few years or so ago when she started doing the reprints of that, through her website I, I was picking up those And uh, I even own some original art From Cully and I, I'm a really big fan Of hers
0: I actually I have one of her pages oh. behind me But it's <laughs> from uh, Power Pack and it's like Has all those reptile dudes
1: So <laughs> oh, Nice I, I, I love Power Pack too I, I love they did that one shot It uh, was a few months ago now and, and that was really great
0: I'll have to check it out
1: nope.
0: I actually did not know they had a Power Pack one shot
1: Yeah and it is um, uh, Louise Simonson and June Brigman
0: oh wow That's yeah fun.
1: yeah it was really great and it it takes place during that like sort of time when the book was coming out oh, okay. um yeah so it's like there's some cameos from like claremont era like wolverine and kitty pride and stuff like that it's, it's really great
0: oh fun but yeah they both are you know like take place in space and have this like combination of like really what feels like magic as well as like technology-based crazy things happening all the time and have a really feminine sort of aesthetic
2: Mm -hmm. everybody has
0: great hair which is also important for your work (laughs) 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 Um, so when it comes to like character design for a story like this where you're really creating something whole cloth like how did you guys approach that together
2: we went back and forth a couple times um, just trying to be like well we want to stay away from being heavily inspired off of any like movies or anything like that but You know, we want to use some, a little bit of, I wanted to use some fashion influences and, um, you know, make it actually functional, I guess. Uh, Mostly because, like, I thought about cosplay uh, and, like, what actually would work or, you know, even just, like, in general, like, what somebody would want to wear versus, like, you know, cape and tights. Um, And... It was nice to collaborate with Joe because he he wanted to have some influences on certain cultures, fashions, so uh, we kind of sent a whole bunch of stuff back and forth, but also wanted to have the inspiration of, you know, the goddess of death, like, what type of things that would enhance her personality, you know? Because a lot of the time, we weren't really seeing her with dialogue at first, so... Um wanted to make her stand out and as well as the followers and everything like that
1: hm yeah we uh what was it with uh the designs that Liana was doing I mean pretty much the the designs she came up with are basically what what stuck around there were very few modifications to mm-hmm. any of the character designs but um when it came to like the morgan uh liana made sure to you you know that the morgan was going to be this like sort of pale character with uh a lot of like cool colors like blues and purples and
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: things like that and nothing too dark yeah but nothing too dark whereas you know uh bridget was very like you know not only is her attire sort of like, someone who's going to be out in the sun, but also, you know, having the bright orange hair and all of that, like, it really, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of subtly tied, I think, everything together.
2: And I think the reason why I wanted to mix fashion is because they're supposed to be goddesses, so I wanted to pull, like, some certain pieces in terms of, not really couture, but, you know, something to make them look
0: on another level, so... So street fashion is an influence as well as couture and stuff like that?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Especially for, like, the mobility uh, of the characters and stuff like that.
0: Right, right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I just love the cover of Issue 4. That's just such a badass cover. Like, everybody's posture and all that. But it also really shows you how great the color work is. The colorist is, um...
2: Rebecca Nolte. Is the colorist on that? Uh, Sorry, I actually did the cover, I, yeah.
0: so thank you. <laughs> ah. Well, you did amazing color work on that cover, good God. But the color work throughout this is a really is really cool, really well done.
2: Yeah, she's, um, honestly, she's really cool. Uh, she's been super, you know, flexible. Like, actually, around the first, like, page she sent, we were like, oh, yep, this works. Like, she totally got it right off the bat. It was amazing.
1: Yeah, and um, Rebecca's uh, the only one of us who's actually from... and and currently lives in ireland so (laughs) so that was nice um and uh funny story uh rebecca actually went to saint bridget elementary school
0: oh (laughs) oh wow so yeah i mean joe like you rooted this in that sort of irish mythology like what is the draw of that particular pantheon of gods for you
1: there oh, there's a few draws um one of which is uh, my great grandmother uh Beatrice was born and raised in Waterford and um lived down the road from us growing up and I, I got to know her as a kid and you know kind of doing something for her um, and i I've always sort of been interested in uh, a lot of that stuff and a lot of the sort of deities, and I think it's a combination of a few things. It's a combination of, um, you know, like um, I I had sort of a a phase where I wanted to learn a lot about, you know, paganism just because I was interested in just Mm -hmm. knowing it, just even if it was purely academic, just having more of an idea of it. And I feel like when I I was growing up through high school and even into college, Everything everyone taught was Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. And, yeah, 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 yeah. And um, so, so as interested as I was in that kind of stuff, I really wanted to go and you know I was like, it made like the those sort of Irish and Celtic gods in that pantheon more interesting to me because I didn't know as much about it, you know, and um, and just like these characters like uh, Morrigan just throughout. Um, you know, our history, um, you know, also basically being Morgana from, you know, the uh, Arthur myths and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, Excalibur is, is one of my favorite uh, films, it, the 1982 uh, John Borman uh, movie. And, and I think she's portrayed really interestingly in there. But um, But yeah, that's kind of what drew me to a lot of that.
0: It's so funny because I really grew up with the Dollier's book of Greek myths. And to me, like mythology, when I was a kid, equaled like Greek mythology. And whenever I would try to check out any other big pantheons, it was always like, this is weird. I mean, the thing is, Greek is weird, too. Yeah. <laughs> it really, yes. It's really weird, but it was sort of like normative. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and Irish was, was still sort still of like, like what, what even is happening? happening? <laughs> ah.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: But I think two of the big recent things with some of the Irish mythology in the comics world have been um, the Morrigan, you know, obviously in the Wicked and the Divine, and that just being a place where they're talking about gods a lot in general. And then they had uh, Siren from X Factor became the Morrigan briefly back during X Factor, which at this point is quite a long time ago, but doesn't feel that way.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that, that Peter David one was really great
0: oh man that man broke my freaking heart, <laughs> broke my heart. yeah well. um i know it was like I mean, we were talking about new york comic-con stuff just you know before you came on but it was like as someone who's like favorite comic writer as a, as a kid was peter david i really did not want to have to be the person to break the news that he was massively anti-romani bigoted but nobody <sighs> else covered that story so i did yeah. Anyway, um, so Wicked definitely shows that there's a big audience for people to read comics with mythological characters right now. I mean, lots of comics have done that over time. I mean, Thor, hello, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, but was, was, was 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 Wicked and the Divine an influence in this work at all? Or I definitely how, think part of so how you sold on part, it,
2: for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love Matt Wilson and a lot of what him and Jamie do for that series uh, I mean, in general, uh, Jamie, like, I've been following their work since Phonogram, and they showed yeah. me, like, and I actually told them this at New York, I was like, you guys literally showed me that what type of potential could be in comics, like, what I could probably give to comics, you know what I mean? Like, it opened that, like, door for me, like, mentally, um, and yeah. I love... The way they use color, you know, Matt uses color and everything with Jamie and, like, how that works so seamlessly with the storytelling, it it was a huge influence for sure for me. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I, um, I'm I definitely a fan of The Wicked and the Divine. Um, I, I think I only let it be an influence to a point because you didn't, you know, it's like, I don't want it to be, Close to to the wicked and the divine, you know. I, right. I You know, we went in a lot of different directions than that. Okay. But it's impossible for it to not be some level of an influence. And I mean, there's there's a lot of uh, different influences here. I, I think um, we we especially drew a lot from, like we were saying with uh, like Sailor Moon, and I, I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of uh, Sailor Moon, the manga series, the anime, all that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's um, some Star Wars influences in there. Um, yeah. You, you know, uh, the basic they got those
0: awesome light swords, I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> and we got um, what was there's um, you know, and the basic story structure is that classic sort of you know uh, storming the castle kind of story, just in space. Yeah. So, so yeah, like that. That kind of stuff is kind of what we were we were going for.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess to be just sort of like the Wick Div was probably one of the reasons why some people knew who the Morrigan was. So you're like, okay, oh, yeah, good. People yeah. know the name of this god now. I don't. It's not like I'm just name dropping something that is super obscure and people will be like, I, who the who the what? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So that's at least helpful, like in terms of just introducing people to more mythology.
1: Absolutely. But yeah,
0: you're doing a lot of really unique world building here and uh, you have to do it really quickly because it's a short series and yeah. you're just dropping people into the, the deep end. So mm-hmm. h- how did you approach that with the writing?
1: Um, on the writing end, um, you know, again, it was this like breakneck speed of just like in the first issue, it was like, okay, we have to have like the Morgan kind of explain enough of what's going on in like that first page. And uh, then drop us immediately to our main protagonists, uh, followed by immediately showing our main antagonists. <laughs> like, it was just mm-hmm. this sort of like, okay, so like by page six, you've met all of like the really important people in this book. And, and just keeping it going from there. Um, we didn't want to over-explain anything. You know, we kind of just let the action and the story and the characters interacting build the world for us. Um, you, you know, we showed a bit of sparring in the in the first, uh, like, second and third pages of the yes. first issue to sort of be like, okay, this is how magic works, and just, like, that kind yeah. of stuff because we have no time to really right. go into a lot of this stuff or to build it up. So it was like, okay, we need to establish this magic in this world. We need to show all this stuff. And then we had to figure out a way for the Light Knights to show off what they can do so... We wanted to do this thing where it was like, okay, they're going to like just slide through light and space to get to, um, you, you know, that outpost to take out uh, Jacqueline and use Jacqueline to show like it was like first couple of pages. We kind of show the basic bits of magic and then Jacqueline is like the advanced course um, mm. where she's like, you know, breaking items to create, you, you know, more destruction and mm. all of that and. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I I always wanted the last page to be the Morgan saying, destroy, uh, for the first yeah. issue. So it mm-hmm. was, like, just getting all of that stuff in. Um, and then, you know, it's pretty breakneck from there in terms of, like, the invasion starts in the second issue. Um, you know, so it was, like, introducing uh, this other character, Gareth, who... Um, was more of a hothead that's sort of like a parallel to uh, Raul, Mm -hmm. um, waiting for the second issue to do that because we are doing too much of the first issue, and, you know, just...
2: I feel like you had to put a trilogy in five issues. Like, no joke. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, and, um, I mean, there's plenty of room to, like, expand from there, and, I mean, Mm -hmm. we also have ideas, if we ever had the opportunity to do more uh, of, of what else we could do... Um, And we intentionally sort of set up this world where if we do more in it, it doesn't necessarily have to be directly after this. It could be in the even further future. It could be in the past. Like we could really jump around and Mm -hmm. play in this sort of world.
0: Yeah. Totally. And you have this really great diverse cast, which is important. I mean, people are not white in the world today, and will certainly be not white in the future. Um, So it's always good to see people actually taking that into account. And then I also was great to have kind of a range of different body types and some body diversity of the characters. Um, Like, what what was your approach in in that? Because I know that to me, it's like an important part of character development, of being able to tell who the heck is who, Mm -hmm. of like reflecting reality of, you know, making like decent art. And so many artists are just like, oh, I can't draw fat people, I don't know how. It's like, (laughs) well, too bad, it's your job, you gotta learn. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, Um, I'm really glad you said that. I really appreciate it, uh, hearing that from, you know, a reader and like comics uh, perspective, you know? And um, a lot of times when I'm working on a script, if I read a character in a certain tone and they remind me of somebody, I try to make them actually look like somebody I know, you know, like within, within reason. So uh, a lot of the characters that we worked on, you know, I just kind of based them off of people that I, you know, was familiar with or like one of my, some of my closest friends. Uh, I mean, obviously they don't look identical to them, but hopefully close enough to where they'd be like, Hey, is that me? Like, (laughs)
0: did, you, yeah, that's always a did you draw me? Thing.
2: And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. You know, it's it's like kind of you. So, uh, you know, like uh, three of my closest friends, you know, had texted me and been like, oh, dude, I love you. Like this, this is hmm. totally me, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's you. Like, I love you too. <laughs>
0: that is a great feeling.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, um, Liana really killed it with the designs. And, and I think some, some of the more interesting elements of it is like the, like the morgan's outfit for example it's the kind of outfit that if another artist sort of ran with it could have Mm -hmm. easily made it something that was like more unsavory Mm -hmm. and um and i think i think liana did a great job of creating this sort of outfit that's it's not shy but just playing it straight and this is mm-hmm. just how the Morgan dresses and no one makes any sort of comments about that. It's just this is, you, you know, this is this right. person and this is how they dress and, you know, that kind of stuff I, mm-hmm. I think is important too.
2: You know that cliche thing where people say, you know, I make the books that I want to read. I feel like for Joe and I, because of all the friends that we have and we kind of run in similar circles, we... it's. I feel like it's easy to create a book like that because it's essentially like kind of like making a book for you and all your friends so Mm. um and I not to say that I'm making this for the younger book market like I think that you know a teen could read this and like be totally okay and everything but like to have powerful characters where they can look up to them and not feel like You know they can't look like them or whatever is really important to me um just because like as a kid you know like I was always kind of looking at my body like being like oh I'd never cosplay as that character like I always like had a Robin costume because like it was the easiest thing that I could find that I would feel comfortable in you know what I mean so like I don't want anybody to look at our designs and be like well I could never wear that like No, everyone could hopefully find something that they feel like they connect with in this book, which is really important. So, one other cool theme. Oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: Oh, sorry. I I was also just going to add in um, that uh, something else that was like a sort of an active decision in this was not doing any sort of real romance in this, um, other than arguably um, the Morrigan and Winona to some level, possibly. Mm -hmm. But, um,. You know, beyond that, um, yeah, you know, we wanted to do a, a book that was uh, queer, but at the same time, so much of queer content feels like it's so dependent on there being romance and sexual interests and stuff like that. And, you know, I sort of wanted to do a book that, that felt queer and was welcoming to a queer audience, but also, you know, represented a wider sort of spectrum, you know, and, um, you know, I think of mm. other aspects of the queer community, you know, ace and arrow uh, people, and I wanted to sort of do something uh, that also w- was a little more like inclusive of some of that stuff without beating people over the head with it, that this is just sort of what this world is.
0: Mm-hmm. And that came across really clearly, and is really, as you said, refreshing to see. And another theme that I really noticed here is like you're dealing with a, you know, the the, the antagonist is somebody who's establishing a cultural hegemony, you know, and then the story is about how are people going to respond to that, which feels pretty typical, not typical, which feels pretty topical. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, which feels pretty topical, um, as a political theme. For, for the story. Was that one of the uh one of the 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 things that you were looking to dive into with this?
1: Yeah, I, I want to dive into it from like a, a sort of broader uh look at it. And um th- there's a bit in issue two that I, I really wanted to do to highlight this where um it's that flashback where they're at a, a church for St. Bridget and um there's sort of conversation with that and they continue having that conversation through the series and and I thought it would be interesting doing this story that, you know, when you really zoom out is, you have this person who, you know, with uh, Bridget is willing to do everything in her power to survive. And in order to survive, it doesn't matter if she's being honest with herself or to other people, it's about survival. I can't think of anything that, that could possibly parallel to going on right now. But uh, exactly. where, <laughs> whereas the, the Morrigan is you know, unfaltering to hurt people and their protection in a way like some of those stories you know, that could easily be uh, a negative thing of, you know, being too stubborn and mm-hmm. not being able to move on. And here I wanted to show some of the more positive sort of looks at, you know, having that sort of conviction and, um, fighting for your people and the way that your people live.
0: Woohoo. Yeah. Definitely feeling that. Well, I want to make sure we spend some time talking about the dead beats as well. I feel like it was the anthology that had the most buzz around it in a long time. Um, and I was excited to check it out as well. And I love the whole idea of like, you know, you've got like a hipster rock and roll horror host, basically. Yeah. <laughs> She's perfect.
1: She's great. And that's all Lisa Sterl. Um mm-hmm. You know, she sent, uh, we sort of told her what we were looking for. She sent us three designs. And, uh, yeah. And, and um, it, you know, she really nailed it. Um, she did a fantastic cover. Um. One of the caveats for the cover is, you know, all the albums on it are some sort of reference to existing albums. But obviously they can't actually be the album for Mm -hmm. legal reasons. But um, one thing I wanted to make sure we slipped in was I didn't want any Beatles references on the cover, but I wanted a Yoko Ono reference. (laughs) God bless you, man. Thank you. So so that's why in the, the uh, left corner, like left center corner of the rack with the albums, you see what's supposed to be uh, Yoko Ono's Yes, I'm a Witch album.
0: I love it. I love <laughs> like, it. That's so appropriate. That's so appropriate. Yeah. So um, how did that project come about? It, it was an
1: idea I... I just had that. Um, Gosh, you did know, that I, like I, last year. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was a little about a year ago. I, I sort of had this idea because I, I, I wanted to do another anthology, but I was like, I really want to do something that's more fun that's not like a a benefit or has a deeper theme right now. Um, even though I think I'm going to end up doing one like that next year, the year after, anyway. But um, I was like, let me. I just want to do something that's like. Fun and entertaining that that people can enjoy. That also, I want to use as an excuse to make it really uh, diverse and have a lot of uh, queer people and people of color in the book without mm-hmm. saying that right on the cover. So it's like, haha, you're actually reading a really diverse book. But um, you know, we um, you know, I talked about it with uh, Eric and uh, Away Blue World, and you know, they were immediately. Interested, And then I had sort of a list of people in mind. And then we uh, compared lists and reached out to people. And just about everyone we were interested in uh, wanted to be in it. And it was really smooth sailing.
0: I mean, you guys got Rachel Pollack of Doom Patrol fame, total comics legend who we haven't seen or heard from for a long time, to write Like, her first story, and how long had it been?
1: Um, Other than very, you know, small things here and there, um, you know, her last major comics work was over 20 years ago.
0: How do you ask a total legend and innovator (laughs) to do something after 20 years?
1: You know, um, I'm really lucky in that um, I've developed a bit of a relationship with Rachel Pollack over the years, because I... Years ago, no joke. I cold emailed her after reading her Doom Patrol run because she had a website with an email and all that, and she got back to me.
2: That's amazing.
1: And um, we ended up just becoming sort of like you know pen pals more or less, and then um, you know we'd uh, you know, she's she lives outside the city, and every it comes down every once in a while, so every once in a while I, I'll I'll see her. And um, we'll catch up and stuff. But I've really been trying to work with her to get her back into doing comics. And with this, I I thought it would be excellent to get her working with uh, Richard Case again. And then he said yes.
0: That's amazing.
1: (laughs) And um, it was an afterthought. After they said yes, I was like, oh, my God, why don't I just email John Workman? And uh, I emailed John Workman Who lettered that whole run From Grant Morrison to the end of Rachel Pollack's run And um, he wrote a really sweet Email back saying of course he'd like To do it and This reminded him of when He got to letter um, A reunion of uh, Steve Englehart and Marshall Rogers at DC Mm. And it was You know it was like this really sweet moment And it all came together like so well And it just so happened you know that the timing was right that like this campaign on Kickstarter was running as like new episodes of Doom Patrol were coming out and we were able to Mm -hmm. kind of uh, you you know push that but Joe is actually just
2: a magician I don't think
0: he told (laughs) you so I mean it's just super cool yeah well thank you and it was a really neat place to have that be staged basically like it it was definitely for me like a oh wow this is like having some real interesting intergenerational um, talent the series Mm
1: -hmm. yeah no that that was really important to us and and there were a few other things that really sort of popped out as we were putting this together um one of my first ideas as we were starting to kind of either put teams together and reach out to people is i was like i want to take team kim and kim from black mask and give it to kwanzaa so so i got to do that and that that was another uh another fun story
0: yeah that was a really fun story Mm -hmm. So, yeah, why why horror and music?
1: I've always liked that kind of stuff. All those kind of movies, like um, uh, Fam of the Paradise is a favorite of mine. Um, you know, obviously, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show, all that stuff. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then there's all of those, like, offbeat sort of, like, horror rock movies um, you know like Trick yeah. or Treat um, mm-hmm. uh, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which I've also seen I've seen both of those um, uh, I and while I was in the process of putting this together I also saw this um, ridiculous like Swedish or Norwegian like The Hills Have Eyes kind of movie but it was about like this like Swedish metal band that um, gets like Lost in the Mountains and it's like, oh, I think uh, I've
2: seen
1: that. It's it's ridiculous, oh, wow. but yeah. but I, I I've always like loved that kind of stuff. And when putting mm. an anthology together, anthologies are really hard. But like one of the things about them is you have to do that thing where it's like it needs to be specific enough, but like broad enough at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, like it needs to be welcoming. But you also need to present something new and interesting to get people to be like, oh, this stands out. I want to check this out. So, like, horror anthology is too broad. What can I do to add something to make this interesting that isn't going to feel too esoteric to people? And it was like, oh, if I add music to it, and that could be a fun little way to to go about it. And uh, it it turned out to be. uh, The reception's been great. We've had... Uh, six signings for the book since it's come out. Um and I got to be at like five of them. Uh
2: Vita and I awesome. sold out of the trade in the first day of Memphis Comic Expo. It was crazy. That's awesome. Tyler sent us a giant box of books.
0: Good, good.
1: Yeah, it, it's been great. We went down to Amalgam in Philly uh the other day, which is a great shop. Um, yeah, and um, it's my second time going down there for, for a signing, and that was just one of the shops where I was like, we need to do something there, and um, uh, you know, also uh, East Side Mags, you know, is another great supportive shop in yes. uh, Montclair, New Jersey.
2: I miss Jeff.
1: Yeah, and uh, if you're on Long Island, we did one at uh, Fourth World Comics, and uh, they bought oh. a few extra copies as well. And uh, Glenn, like that's that store has been there like at least thirty years or so. Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just it's easily one of the best shops on you know Long Island Um, that and um, Escape Pod in Huntington you know we didn't do a signing for them there but they supported us on the Kickstarter and all of that and that's a great shop too Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah and obviously Forbidden Planet um, for our launch was was fun you know of course it was like raining a ton but you know it's fine it happens Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: That makes it all the more spooky.
1: Yeah, and um, for anyone listening out in uh, St. Louis, uh, Star Clippers did uh, a signing with Scenes and Marie Anger out there, um, who are like also two of our favorite people. I think, right?ly
2: Oh yeah, hundred percent. Love them both. Actually, I get to see Marie. I think in like two weeks, which is That's great.
1: great. That's really exciting. Very, yeah. Very, yeah, yeah. Marie was super sweet. We went out there during our um, she said destroy tour in the Midwest. We ended up doing a tour. Um, yeah through um what was it like uh we hit memphis st louis chicago indianapolis mm-hmm. yeah. and um you, you know so marie uh came out for that in, in st louis and same with steens and
2: yeah steens took us to that rad uh bar the one on the roof wow. yeah
1: we we went to a rooftop <laughs> bar in st louis it was, it was really nice but um but yeah, and uh, Challengers, which um, hosts us for a signing, and they just yes. opened up a new location, right?
2: And they are so amazing. I cannot stress how great they are to creators. Like, they were so good to Joe and I. So, so good. I love them very much.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, next time I go to Chicago, which I eventually have to because I have friends out there, um, I have to go back there because they were just such sweethearts.
0: Well, you know, it's. I think the whole music and horror combination makes so much sense. Like, I I got into horror movies through music because, as a kid, I was way too chicken to watch anything horror related. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I ended up, like, you know it was the 90s and I was a goth kid and we were like go to like listen and see like my life with a thrill kill cult and like all the horror, you know all these Mm -hmm. different like b-movie samples and all the references and like that was sort of one of my entry points into horror and as in general and I I think that that's not unusual and then vice versa I mean you have like Oingo Boingo did soundtrack stuff for um Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and like things Mm -hmm. like that
1: Um, And and even just building on what you're saying I mean, one of my all-time favorite horror movies Is Suspiria And so much of that is Mm. the soundtrack Mm -hmm. Um, Totally Anything John Carpenter does I mean, uh, the Halloween theme Is like one of the most iconic movie themes Of of all time, let alone
0: Totally I mean, we describe an entire kind of music As being John Carpenter music Like, my friend's brother uh, his, His brother does soundtrack stuff And I was sort of like Oh, how do you describe it? Like it's basically John Carpenter music. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, John Carpenter <laughs> music. I know what that means. Um, but it's also interesting because like you're translating something. Like you, one of the things you can't get from a page is hearing it, hearing music. Mm-hmm. Do you guys have like a playlist or anything? Um, I do for mine for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um...
0: send me that link.
2: I want to link <laughs> 100%, to it. Yeah, uh, and I I had sent it to Paliki. And he was, like, into it, too, I think. Um, and it kind of fit with how uh, how we kind of shaped, like, what the musician looked like. Because originally, I think the script was talking about, like, a metalhead. And I was like, yes, yes but. but if. <laughs> because, I, you know, as someone who's been in the metal community, too, I was like, this works. But, like, I think it could be way more sinister if you know and so it's kind of cool to like shape that around listening to specific music and stuff like that and you know he he's such a good writer but also like he he kind of like let me contribute to it which is nice so yeah
1: yeah i um i was mostly listening to uh the pixies uh debaser album for buying because that's where (laughs) everything sort of fit in from For my story yeah and uh, the story is
0: incredible thank you
1: i um i talked with jen about that before even starting writing it i was just like hey you know are you like a fan of the pixies and jen was telling me how when they were younger they'd go to the library to rent cds and or borrow them rather and one of them that they used to get often was uh pixies albums so it ended up just being like perfect that's that amazing. that we were coming up with that And then, um, you know, I mentioned some other bands In, in the story, like I definitely Listened to uh, the Chameleon Script of the Bridge, uh, a decent amount for-
0: Oh yeah, we I was just really getting Into them recently um, There was a really great, I was in an essay contest Last year called March Vladness And there was a really great essay by someone Who, um, by former podcast Guest Barry Grass, actually um, That talked about the Chameleon song Swamp Thing, and then like Ooh. We kind of got really into them for a bit
1: Nice, yeah, no, the, they're horror. great, um, you, you know. Yeah. And then I, I also just, there's a lot of stuff I also just listen to uh, fairly regularly, like The Cure and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which, um, you know, certainly informs uh, my writing.
0: So, like, yeah, Liana, what music, send me that link to the playlist, then I'll link to it, but, like, what what music did you predominantly have in mind working on this?
2: So, um, what's funny is one of my favorite bands, uh, I've, I've primarily listen to metal and stuff uh, most of my life, Mm -hmm. but uh, the older I get, like, especially, like, into my early 20s, like, I started listening to, like, desert rock, stoner rock, stuff like that, kind of a little more slowed down, and then, like, indie eventually and things like that. Like, I I love everything, like, hip-hop and stuff, but uh, one of my favorite bands is called Mini Mansions, and the guy, the bassist from Queens of Stone Age is the lead singer of this band. And he recently did a score for a movie, And it was really haunting, and so I was a little inspired off that because it had just came out, and you know it was when Eric was kind of getting with me, Eric and Joe, uh, seeing like what type of progress we would have on the pages, and I was like, okay, I need like a playlist to kind of get into this mentality, and a lot of like what I listen to is uh, like music and comics for me are like go hand in hand no matter what. So a lot of my visuals that I end up coming up with are, like, actually from listening to music. And that's why it kind of worked with that story. And uh, so I kind of just went off that one particular uh, singer uh, slash composer and then sort of went from there. And so I added some things like, I think I added, like, The Last Shadow Puppets, uh, Miles Kane stuff, kind of dark indie uh, but reminiscent of, like, their older stuff, like, you know, uh, like Alex Turner, Arctic Monkeys type stuff and oh, okay. um, things like that,
0: but you know, more so on the darker side. Really cool. I'm a big metal head, so I'm definitely interested in checking out that list. Um, but the funny thing about metal is, like, there's such a huge genre yeah, that yeah. I just always joke when somebody's like, oh, people would be like, oh, it's, you should meet this person. You both like metal. And then it's like, the likelihood of the Venn diagram of what I like and they like being the same is pretty small. And right, exactly. First, one of my first, yeah, one of my first conversations with my husband was also literally just being like, "Oh, we're not talking about any of the same bands." Okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I um, you know, I'm any, I'm I could go to like a Maiden show and then you know two weeks later go to a Slayer show. You know what I mean? But like mostly mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is in somewhat of the same realm. And people are telling me, like, all this crazy, like, French death metal stuff. And I'm like, oh, I've never even heard of that. I don't (laughs) even... Yeah. You know, like, I would have no idea where to start with that. So, yeah, I totally feel you on the Venn
0: diagram metal. Yeah. So much. Well, and I also have somebody who... You know, when I'm I'm reading comics, sometimes what I'm listening to when I'm reading it will just line up really well. And I'm just like, oh, that went really well. And sometimes I'll be reading something and I'll be like... This is ridiculous that I'm listening to this and reading this at the same time.
1: That's awesome. Nice, yeah. Just juxtaposition. My my tastes are all over the place. Like to give you an example, when I was in eighth grade, the two albums I listened to the most were Nine Inch Nails' "The Fragile" and Sarah McLachlan's "Surfacing." Oh, those were the oh two god, albums I, I was listening to.
2: <laughs> Legit, when Joe and I went on that signing tour, we would listen to. It wasn't what album was it by Fleetwood Mac? We'd listen to. What
1: was a. T- uh, was it Tango uh, Tango in the Night? Yeah, right? Tango
2: in the Night. Oh, I then, love that like, album. Listen to like hip hop right after or whatever.
1: <laughs> like, yeah, like Tango yeah. in the Night. <laughs> then it was like Andrew WK. Yeah. Then it was like. Then we were like, oh my god, what about Saves the Day? Stay What You Are. Like, <laughs> which, um, which yeah. you know this. This might put me on blast, but after um, it got announced that My Chemical Romance was going to do that show again, and there might be touring and mm-hmm. all of that, I, I listened to like a few My Chemical Romance songs, and then I was like, all this is really making me want to do is listen to Saves the Day.
0: <laughs>
1: and um, yeah, that, so that happens. That is how my mind worked when that happened
0: well basically everybody who's about five to ten years younger than me in comics is a huge mcr fan and i was just a little bit too old to really care about them and so i completely associate my chemical romance with comics fans because like mcr fans and comics fans are like basically the same people apparently and they're all a little younger than me and i'm very happy for you congratulations
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. But but yeah. Um but yeah, I love music and also fun fact about me, uh my brother Anthony is actually the drummer for Sheer Terror. So Oh wow. Yeah. So if people are familiar with the hardcore scene in New York, he's uh Yeah. He's uh does that and he, he tours all the time and he he also um he also does some work like um Just like touring sort of work with like Glassjaw and like some other bands. So like, oh Oh, wow,
0: we we probably know some similar people. That was not my scene, but I know
1: people from it. Yeah, yeah, it's not. I'm pretty
0: sure my uncle used to be their tour bus
1: driver. Nice, I. um, (laughs) Yeah. Nice, I. um, Really weird. (laughs) Yeah, it's not exactly my scene, but I go to a lot of shows and and I enjoy it when, when I do. And it's like nice because like you can just feel like you feel like you have an immediate sort of respect from the people there when you're just like, oh, it's I'm here. That's my brother. And they're like, oh, OK. And like I like good. I don't yep. have to like get into a pissing contest with someone. I'm just good. Oh, my okay. God, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's so funny. Well, what's have, the do you feel oh. like there's like a comparison between anthologies and making mixtapes? Because I saw that in one of the graphics for sure.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, it's definitely like that. It's. You, you know, there was a lot of that. I mean, Eric um, was really the one about laying out the order mm-hmm. for the the stories. Um, some of it had to happen a certain way because we started, we had like the interludes that would lead directly into another story.
2: Yeah. The way you, you know. guys tied in the script for those was incredible to me.
1: Thank you. Yeah, we really. It
0: was really cool
1: thanks it it was um it was great i mean a lot of it was based on when we would get stuff in like um Mm -hmm. uh some people were able to deliver the scripts early enough that we were like okay we can we can work with this um you know i i love the one where she's eating the spiders but like yes yeah it's um, oh my
0: god
1: that was that was one of my favorite and uh you know christoph and giles that that story i I really like how that came out um, I, I really love Christoph and uh, Giles uh, Crawford is sort of an up and coming artist that I've wanted to work with for a little bit and um, I, I sort of saw this as an opportunity and uh, reached out to him and he was able to do it and Christoph and him both are really into like Australian punk rock and stuff like that so it really worked out
0: <laughs> Awesome That's great but yeah, I like, I just, it, you know, what's the thing with anthologies? Also, is it feels like they've really become popular in the past several years. Like, if like ten years ago, it seemed like basically the Eisners only nominated whatever Dark Horse presents anthology every single year, and it won every single mm-hmm. year. And now there's so many more anthologies out there, and um, this with like really sort of different theses and purposes. I mean, what's, what's the, the appeal thing? of anthologies for you?
1: I mean, uh, for me, um, I've, I've always loved, uh, short form storytelling. Um, you know, just going in, going out. Um, I, I firmly believe so many stories can be told like, you know, you can boil any story down to like one comic panel and then it's like you build the story out from there and you can keep, Building and growing. Okay, you have a page now. You have four pages. You have twenty pages. So, so that's interesting to me. Uh, you know, and, and another thing with anthologies that that I really love is everyone has a different favorite story, <laughs> and everyone can kind of come at it from a different sort of angle um, you know and and the stories that there are plenty of stories that people are like oh it was alright and then that's someone else's favorite story and like that's interesting to see I I really like that and so I like that anthologies often more than other you know longer form comics tend to offer the reader more opportunities to, to really engage on a deeper level with the work they're holding
2: I think from, like, an industry perspective, too, uh, it makes, you know, being able to work with all these different people, or at least being in the same book, it makes the industry a little less isolating. And, you know, you get to share this communal project with everyone and be able to meet them in person, like how Joe and I met and how, you know uh, it's a good way for people to break into it or try the industry right. out without, you know, without being able to commit all the time to, you know, a five issue series or whatever, st- stuff like that. Um, and it shows like the amount of technology that we have now to, you know, for outreach to, to, you know, other places that, you know, wouldn't be able to get printed work, um, with crowdfunding and all that stuff and being able to, like, accessibility for new readers and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and um, it's it's also really helped um, a lot of, you know, creators of color like uh, Tanika Stotz and uh, um, you know, Spike Trotman you know, putting out a lot of anthologies mm-hmm. at a time where, you know, the industry just a few years ago or so was like, no one buys anthologies and then, mm-hmm. you know, you have creators like them, you know, making six figures, you know, or you know, more or less on, on anthologies, and now everyone's like trying to get in on anthologies. And, you know, it's a yeah. great outlet for uh, queer creators. There's a lot of uh, queer focused anthologies that, that get traction. Uh, Northwest Press mm-hmm. does uh, quite a few. Um, Arledge, I think, is another one that works on, um, you know, uh, queer anthologies, and uh, Margins Publishing as well
0: cool cool well thank you for those recommendations so we're coming up on an hour uh, let our listeners know where they can find your work online
1: oh,
0: do you want to kick I'm, us off Liana?
2: Uh, yeah oh, sorry <laughs> do you want to kick us off Liana? sure uh, I'm Liana Kangas and you can find all my work on Twitter Instagram and my website which is Liana Kangas at Liana Kangas L-I-A-N-A-K-A-N-G-A-S, L-I-A-N-A-K-A-N-G-A-S.
0: I like consistency. Easy to easy to find. And
1: <laughs> yes, and um, you can find me on Twitter at Joe Corallo, C O R A L L O, and on Instagram at Corallo Joe.
0: Noted. Great. Well, thank, well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, this has been a lot of fun, and I'm really excited to see what ever you're working on next.
1: Great. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And, and listeners, again, Graphic Policy Radio, we are on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, all the different platforms. And uh, I'm on Twitter at E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn. That's Elana underscore Brooklyn. Love to get your thoughts and comments and stuff like that over there. And as we like to say, keep it geeky.